doing, I'm good, man. Dave just brought it to me. Thank you for being a good teacher. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, I don't want to rush you into your seats and all, but sit down. <laughs> we got stuff to do, man. You guys know I'm not short-winded. We got a lot to cover. It's good to see you guys today, and I'm very happy that you are happy to see each other. Uh, it's really hard when you ask a church to go around and say hi to each other, and they're all like, I don't like these people. That's not good. Not a good thing. Not here. So today we're wrapping up our series on freedom. And we are moving to today's title, subtitle is Revelations. And uh, something we talk about a lot, how that uh, it's easy to get knowledge, but Paul said that knowledge puffs up, that there has to be something with knowledge. And, and so I argue that that is revelation. That is, we, we, not, we don't just need to know things, we need to have things revealed to us. We need the right information and, and, but we also need something on top of that, a, a revelation of Jesus' work. But, 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 how do you get that? How do you get a revelation? How do you get not just knowing something, but understanding it, knowing how it works, knowing how to apply it? How do you get academic knowledge and turn it into practical knowledge? And so that's what, or something you can actually use. So that's what we're talking about today. So I wanted to read you a couple scriptures. This is all by way of introduction. It's not my core text. But 1 Corinthians 2.8, Paul writes, The rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Now bear with me. There's another text I want to throw with it. Verse 14, same chapter. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. A lot of times in your Christian walk, it feels like you're just not getting it. Why is that? What I want you to see is that <laughs> the, Satan, he's been around a long time, okay? You know, he was in the garden of God, we learned from Ezekiel. And he's really smart. But when God was executing the Jesus plan, if you'll excuse me for being a little callous there, it, it, when he was ex executing the Jesus plan, Satan didn't understand what was going on. He was totally outside the loop. He, he, he missed it. Okay, And Paul says, if they'd have known what God was up to, they, would have, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus because God was using that crucifixion to accomplish something. And so I just want you to know, if you're not getting it, uh, it's a process. And there's some things you can do to get it. But don't feel like, oh man, I, I don't, this spiritual stuff is beyond me. It's not. Okay, it's not. Just because you're intuitive doesn't mean you get it automatically. Just because you're intellectual doesn't mean you can't get it. It's just, we have to... Sorry, that did not come out right. <laughs> that is not what I meant. <laughs> Every now and then, uh, I say dumb things. So anyway, so, um, but my point is, just because of the way you look at things doesn't mean you, you will miss out on what God's trying to reveal to you by His Spirit. So, let's talk about the Bible for a minute. The Bible. And, and I've come to, in the last several years of making a distinction. I think there's the Bible and there's the Word of God. Say, Michael, the Bible's the Word of God. Yes, but Jesus is the Word of God. Okay? Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is what God has to say. That's what John was trying to tell us in John chapter 1. Now, I believe that the Bible is the most important book in the history of mankind. 
I believe it's, I believe it's true. I believe it's protected. I believe God's got his eye on it. I believe if you study the history of it, it will shake your faith. It will. But as you wade through that journey, I think it will establish your faith. And as you see how God is able to do things and, and do the impossible. So I trust the scriptures, but I also look at the scriptures a little differently. And that when I look at the Bible, one, I see an incredibly condensed book. I see an incredibly condensed book. And we need to realize that. It, because uh, is the Bible exhaustive? <clears throat> does that mean does it contain everything? No, I don't think it does. But I tell you what I think the Bible does do. If you were studying an ancient language, if you were studying an ancient language and, and you had no connection to the people group that used that language, the, your first choice would be to have some kind of bilingual source available, some book that was translated into another language that you knew, and you would try and discover what that initial language says. The Bible, we're trying to learn the language of God. Can you wrap your head around that for a second? We're trying to understand an infinite being who exists and lives at every point in time at the same time. A being who is infinitely intellectual and understanding, who knows all, experiences all, everything at the same time. Okay? How can you even relate to a being like that? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And yet this being, God, wants a relationship with you, so He's given you the Bible. And what does the Bible do? The Bible shows you how God thinks, the things that God says, the way that God behaves. It gives you example after example of how God has revealed Himself to so many other people. And what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is so you can begin to see and learn how to understand an infinite being. Does that make sense? It's like learning a new vocabulary. It's like uh, getting into a new dictionary or, or something of that nature. So the Bible is, I think, cr incredibly important. I think it's just critical that you read it, that you think about it. I think as you get the Bible in your heart and in your mind, that God begins to, to speak you to it. So one other thing I think about the Bible, hang on, let's see. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It happens all the time. Uh, I lose my train of thought because I'm riding in the caboose of that train and uh, <clears throat> lose my way on occasion. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really did lose my train of thought that time. I mean, it like right out the window. So your Bible, I got it. I got it. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> Thanks for praying. Thanks for praying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thought Christian's going to have to grab the message for me. All right. So the Bible. The Bible is what I call a general revelation of God. Okay? That means it's, it's what God has to say. It's God's words. It reveals Jesus. It leads you to Jesus who is the absolute word of God. But it's a general revelation. But I, we need more than just the revelation to everybody. The Bible is the living Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that it's quick and powerful. It means it's alive and enlivening. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So reading the Bible, gaining the knowledge of the Bible is helpful. But what I need is I need to hear 
the Bible. Romans 10, 17. <clears throat> Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word, 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 got it? I'm not trying to rap, I'm just the Word, Word. is a Greek word, rhema, and it's a spoken word. Not the same word used in John 1 that says in the beginning was the word. That's logos. That's, a, that's an established, an eternal word even, if you will. And so what I'm trying to say is reading the Bible is great. You need that base knowledge. You need to know what it says. It's inspiring. But what you need is God to give breath to it. Yeah. What you need. I don't know if, if I, bet, I bet there's several in this room, and you can give me an amen if, if this is you, that you've read verses of the Bible at different points in your life, and at one point in your life, you're like, ah, it's, it's a verse, and then another point in your life, like, oh my gosh, that's awesome! Is that happening to you say amen if that's ever happened? Okay, there you go. That's a rhema. That's a spoken word of God. You're in the word, and God put his breath to the word, and now it took on new life and new understanding. That's why I said the Bible's condensed. I think that God uses the Bible to give you specific revelation for you that's going to guide you into his understanding of him and, and, and growth. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think your revelation is authoritative to me, though. So just say, if you start writing a new Bible, I'm not down with it. Uh, the cotton patch version has already been done, and that's the only one we need. <sighs> anyway. <clears throat> and he, so Hebrews 12. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is... Speaking. I'll stop there. This is important. God said a lot. But God is speaking. And our task is to tune in, learn the language, be able to identify not only the kinds of things that God says, but the way that God does things. Does that make sense? So the Bible is really important. So these scriptures, I believe them to be protected. I believe them to be complete. But I believe that God wants to give his voice to them and to your life. Okay? That being said, we're going to move into the revelation today. This truth that we've been talking about for three previous weeks. Simply that Jesus Christ came to set you free. He came for your freedom. It is for freedom that you've been set free. And in case you needed one more argument for it, Jesus began his ministry with a quote from Isaiah. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I have a water bottle back there. Uh, could, could someone grab it for me? Thanks, hon. It's back on that shelf. I'm sorry. I'm a, the only windmill you ever saw that runs on water. So um, <clears throat> the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So you see that the main reason that Jesus came, please excuse me, is to bring freedom and to set us free. So how do we get a revelation of that? So I want to give you three revelations today that we've already covered, because I want to drive these home. And I want to talk about how to move from knowledge to revelation in a very simple <clears throat> way. Wow, I'm getting choked up. I don't think the enemy wants you to hear this. So Galatians 3.22, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. We are all prisoners of sin. There's that word that everybody loves. 
So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Paul also writes in Romans, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. The fact is, you are free from sin. You're free from it. That's the fact. That's the, that's the knowledge. So how do I move from a place where I'm struggling with sin to a place where I'm living in freedom from that sin or from several sins? So I think what happens a lot of times, we need, to, we need to understand how Paul thought about the law and grace, and I think it will help us understand. So I have a three-step process we're using today. I'm going to give it to you right now. Our process for entering Revelation is give it a try, uh, learn and lean, and then get back up. Give it a try, learn and lean, get back up. That's actually my entire sermon. I'm going to re-preach it three times. You're like, oh, good, we'll be here all day. So... <clears throat> The problem that most people have with sin in their lives, with weaknesses, failures, whatever label you want to put on those things that are destroying your life, the problem we have is we always initially try to deal with it through rules. The church does too. The church does too. Evangelicalism is terrible at this. We always try to deal with things through rules. And rules are not useless, but they are not the answer. Rules are not useless, but they are not the answer. And here's why. Paul writes this in Galatians 3.24. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made, made right with God through faith. That's the job of rules. They put a fence and protect you from destruction until you arrive at the answer. If you, if, now I'm not a rancher, so if I mess up this analogy, uh, just realize I'm not that bright anyway, and just be graceful. So, but if you had to move a, a, a herd of some kind of cattle, sheep, whatever, from one pasture to another, and, and you, were, you were moving them, you would want some way to corral them and gather and protect them so you could move them to a larger pasture. That's what rules are for. They establish a boundary line to keep you from ruining your life until you get to freedom. And in Paul's mind, we call it law and grace, but you might as well say rules are freedom. So if you're going to overcome sin in your life, what you have to understand is if you're trying to beat it through rules, which is how we usually start. If you've been through any kind of addiction recovery, that's the first step. They introduce a whole lot of rules and a whole lot of accountability into your life. Is that a bad thing? Actually, it's an okay place to start. To start. But the reason people have to go through addiction recovery on an average of seven times is because rules are not enough. If you cannot get to freedom, you'll just keep tripping over the rules. In fact, I don't know how the rest of you are. Maybe it's just a man thing. But as soon as someone gives me a rule, I'm like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I'm mad right now, already. You say, Michael, never mind. I'm going to stop right there. I almost got into trouble right there, but I stopped because God is good. All right, so that's so wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. So what is the answer then? If rules aren't the answer, and I'm telling you they're not, Paul did not think rules were the answer. What is the answer? 
The answer is considering or reckoning. Uh, There's a book I love that you may not enjoy it uh, as much as I have. I've read it several times. It's by Watchman Nee, and it's called The Normal Christian Life. One One of the best books I've ever read on just walking into what Christ has given us. Learning to live in Christ and not trying to get to Christ, which is how most people actually live. And in that book, he talks about Romans 6.11 that says, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. That word consider in the King James, because I grew up on the King James, is, is reckon. It's an accounting word. You actually reckon every time you reconcile your bank account. I mean, if people do that anymore. But I mean, some people do that like numbers and math and don't know how to get online and see what their balance is. (laughs) When you reconcile or reckon your bank books, you get an accurate and up-to-date picture of your financial situation. That's what reckoning is. And that's the word Paul's using. You need to reckon that you are dead to sin and you are alive to God. You need to account this as true. If it were a bank balance, you could look on the side that had all this sin debt on it and all these failures and all these mistakes, and what you see is the words paid in full. Probably see it in Greek, tetelestai. Okay, paid in full. It's over. That debt is done. All right? And on the right side, you would see Blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Free for freedom's sake. All these things you would see in your account. And you have to learn how to use your account. See, if you had a, a billion dollars in your bank account, that'd be nice, right? Church needs about two million for a building. I'm just throwing it out there. If you happen to have that two billion dollar account. Okay. Or that billion dollar account. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had a thought that was hilarious, but again, not correct for this moment. So backing up, you're like, man, he's got problems being good today. Yes, yes, I'm a little feisty today. So if you had a, a billion dollars in a bank account and you had a, a debit card or a, a card on that account, there are a lot of reasons why you might not be able to use your billion dollars. You might not have any idea how to use the credit card or the debit card on that account. Your card might have been demagnetized by your wallet that has a magnet in it for your clip, which I have one of those, and it ruins cards occasionally. (laughs) Something might have gone wrong with your card. You might have lost your card. There are things that could break down your access from turning that what's in your bank account into resources that you need. It's the same way spiritually. You have all these things in your account, but getting access to those things in that account, releasing those things into your life, that's it's it's about knowing how. It's about having revelation. It's about actually believing that they're there. I mean, seriously, if you had a billion dollars in your account, but you only thought you had 10, you wouldn't even go buy groceries because 10 bucks wouldn't even get you taters nowadays. You're like, what's taters, Michael? They're a southern thing. Anyway, so... The point is, to to roll into this truth, you are free from sin. First, you've got to accept that what God says is true and that what your circumstances are saying are not true. This is the beginning of learning to live by faith. Michael, I've got some problems in my life. And and I I could list off problems that we might have until I zinged everybody, but that's not my point. 
My point is, I have some problems in my life. I don't feel like I'm free from sin. I'm telling you the reality, the circumstances around you are lying to you. And so what you have to do is like Peter. You guys remember the story of Peter walking on the water? He, He sees a guy walking on the water. It's Jesus. He's not even sure it's Jesus. He says, but hey, if you're Jesus, invite me to walk out there with you. And Jesus says, sure, come on. Which if I weren't Jesus, that would have been a great way to drown somebody. But... <laughs> so here's Jesus walking on the water, and Peter, he, he has no way of knowing if he can walk on water. He's probably, I, I don't think he'd ever walked on water before that night. I think it was like a whole new thing for him. But something happened. You know what he did? He put his foot over the side of the boat, and he stepped out on water. There was a moment of balance there that if that water did not work, if he couldn't walk on it, he was going down, right? And so my, this is a basic principle of the Christian life. Whatever God says is true, so give it a try. Give it a try. I'm, that, that sin that's beating you down, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, I'm struggling with fill it in the blank. God says you're free from it, so rather than walking around believing your circumstances, why not believe God and take a step out on the water? Michael, what if I sink? you may recall that Peter did sink. You remember? He walked a little while, and then he started looking at his circumstances, and he thought to himself, this is impossible! It was completely possible right up until he started looking at his circumstances. And then he sank. You remember? So give it a try, and then as you are stepping out into it, you're going to learn. You're going to learn things. You're going to to learn uh, that God is faithful. You're going to learn that God is good. You're going to take these steps of faith. But what you have to do is realize this, and this is what Americans can't handle for some reason today. You have to understand that failure, you have to understand that failure is part of the process. John Maxwell said back in the 90s, he wrote a book called Failing Forward. And he said, if you're going to, If you're going to double your rate of success, you have to double your rate of failure. It's true. Ask any musician who started out torturing their parents as a father of eight sons, a drummer, several guitar players. What what all did you play, Kevin? You played so much. Anyway, sorry, my son Kevin's here today. (laughs) Just know that, that part of learning that instrument was a process of failing. It was a process of failing. And so is this. Give it a try. Learn. And while you're learning, lean into Christ. Lean into the process. And then know that you're going to do it poorly. You are. The fear of failing is robbing people of their lives. It's robbing them of their relationships. It's robbing them of their success, their businesses, their dreams. And you cannot get to success without failure. So you give it a try, you learn, you lean into Christ, and then you build this into the process that when you fail, you get back up. Successful people, successful believers are not people who have not failed. They are people who were too dumb to stay down. 
Be dumb enough to keep getting back up. Be stubborn enough to keep getting back up. You see, I love this passage in Hebrews. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there'll be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but will become strong. You don't have to be strong. You don't even have to be tough. You can do it ugly. You can do it crying. You can do it struggling. You can do it doubting. But you can get back up. This is how you get a revelation. This is how you find out that God's word is true. By stepping out into it. Then you learn, then you fall, then you get back up, and then you do it again. The process is simple. Is it easy? I don't know of anything in life that's easy that's worth doing. Okay, It's not easy, but it is simple. Give it a try, learn and lean, get back up. You are free from sin. You are free to love. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I have a belief that I have yet to see the circumstances for, maybe more than I have. I believe that Christians should be the best people on the planet at relationships. Have you read the New Testament? Have you read how much in there is on relationships? And how we are to forgive people, love people like Christ loved them, minister to them, care for them over and over. In fact, most of Paul's letters, yeah, they lay down some core theology, but then they almost always dive right into, and here, this is how you treat each other. And sadly, so much of uh, religion, Christianity, Christendom today focuses on Paul's theology and not so much on Paul's practice. And so we need to understand that we are free to love each other. And I think this begins practically, this may sound weird, I think this begins practically by telling each other the truth. I know that we're all sitting here going, no man, Michael, I tell the truth, I'm an honest person. No, I think we lie to each other all the time. What, what do I mean by that? Why do I think that we lie to each other? I think we don't tell people the truth that's going on inside of us. And I think this is where great relationships begin. This is why Paul said to stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth for all parts of the same body. And what do I mean by telling the truth? What we normally do when a conflict arises. And listen, if you're going to do anything with another human being... There will be conflict. Do you understand that? Okay, if you have, in fact, it's possible, depending on your mindset and your personal mental abilities or disabilities, that you might be in conflict with yourself if you did things alone. That is possible. But we need to understand that if we do anything with people, that there's going to be conflict. 
How we loved, how, how we have the immaturity of our nation and world today is that as soon as there's a conflict, I'm out. And I hate you, by the way. I never thought I'd see a time in the history of the world that disagreement would be defined as hate. Okay? So, what are we going to do? We are not bound by this garbage. We are not. We are free to love people. And here's, here's what I recommend that we do. I, I, I recommend that we stop telling people about them. You see, when I say to my wife, not that we ever have a disagreement, <sighs> but when I say to my wife, let me tell you about you and what you're doing and how it's bugging me. Do you know what I'm doing when I begin to tell my wife about her? I've just taken the place of God. I'm assuming that I know what's going on in her mind, that I can correctly interpret her uh, story, how she's reacting to things, how she's responding to things in her life. I'm making a whole series of judgments about her, and you may not believe this, but it's true. I'm not actually qualified to make judgments on her or anybody else. That's not my job. That is not, by the way, if this is how you're handling conflict in any relationship in your life, that is wrong. Stop it. That's not the truth. I can't tell you the truth about you. I can tell you the truth of God's Word. And I can tell you the truth that's going on inside of me. That I can do. What happens when I start communicating the truth that's going on inside of me? Uh, let me, Men, ladies, you can plug your ears just for a second. Let me talk to you men. Hey men, we got to rise up in our relationships and tell the truth in our marriages. We have to explain our... Women always get accused of being the ones expecting mind reading, and we're the ones who really fail at communicating. So we have to learn to tell the truth. Okay, ladies, you can open your ears now. I didn't want you to hear me say something nice about you. I didn't want that. What can you do? This is what it means to tell the truth. It's telling someone, guys, I'll get to the ladies later. Don't get mad. It's okay. It's, like, it's telling someone, hey, this behavior and how I'm responding to it. So, my wife isn't the sarcastic one in our relationship. You'll never guess who that is. So, but if I said, if I said, you know, when you're sarcastic, I feel disrespected. That's the truth. That's not a judgment on her. That's not me deciding that I know everything about her and can make good judgments. That's me saying, this is how I'm experiencing you right now. This is how my inner world is reacting. This is the story I'm telling myself as this behavior happens in our relationship. It might sound something like, when, when you don't communicate to me, I feel abandoned. Ladies, learn that word. Abandonment is a serious feminine issue. It began with Eve in the garden when she was being tempted by Satan. And Adam is right there with her doing nothing. That was the beginning of your abandonment issues in the garden. So you, that's something that you can say. When this behavior happens, I feel abandoned. When you ask me questions that I have no way of knowing the answers to, I feel stupid. See how simple this is? This behavior, this is how I'm experiencing it. This is how we tell the truth. Michael, if I tell the truth, we're going to have a fight. Do you know how you save your marriage? You have fights. You have good, 
fights. And chances are, I'm being a marriage counselor at the moment, chances are good that what's happening is in your marriage is that you are not having fights about the issue, you're having fights about not the issue. That's what I call it. Not the problem. Most marital strife is about not the problem because very few couples can ever actually stop, look inside, look at what's happening within them, and say, this is how I'm experiencing this behavior right now. And so they fight about not the problem. My wife and I have fought entire weeks and never really known why we were mad at each other. You ever done that? Yeah? Learn to tell the truth. Now, Michael, if I do this, I'm going to mess up. Let's see, what's our process? Give it a try. Learn and lean. Get back up. If you want to have great relationships in your life, you step out into things and you try and you mess up and you do it again. You get back up. That's how we learn to love each other. This idea that the church has that everyone should just all get along the Rodney King belief. Why can't we all just get along? You have to be older to know that reference. Sorry. <laughs> it's not practical. It's not how human beings work. Jesus put us in ecclesia in the church so we would learn how to be in relationship with each other. So do not walk away. Speak up. Do you understand? I can't read minds. I can read faces pretty good, especially when they're angry looking faces, but I can't read minds. Your partner can't, your friends can't, your coworkers can't, so tell the truth. That's the beginning. Be willing to do it poorly. You know how you do that? You say something to your spouse or your friend or whatever it is, and you get it all wrong. And here it is. You ready? I'm sorry. I was wrong. That's, by the way, that's how you do an apology. Most people do an apology like this. I'm sorry if you're mad. That is not apology. <laughs> That's not an apology. And all the couples laugh because they're like, <laughs> they've done that. It wasn't an apology at all. It was a backwards insult and they knew it. So give it a try. Tell the truth. Learning in. I know this is really hard, but I'm telling you what God has for the ecclesia in this next season is critically dependent upon the body of Christ behaving toward itself in powerful, significant, practical relationships with each other. We have to learn this. We have to learn this. We have to learn this. Did you get that? Yeah. This is important. Okay, so you're free to love. And then you're free to redeem. And this is, we have to, as the, as the, as the body of Christ in the world today, we have to not, we can't forget our mission. So the Bible says in John 20, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. These are Jesus' words, not taking anything out of context. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. What does that mean for us today? We have a mission on this earth. We're here to do the things that Christ did. We're here to represent Christ. We're here to help redeem people and bring them to God. This is our mission. Now, it would be cool 
If you, like, you led someone to Christ and they got raptured out right then, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, scary. Like, you're, all right, man, do you trust Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior? Yes, you do. Jesus' name, amen. Poof, pile of clothes, they're gone. That would be cool. <laughs> but that is not how it works. First of all, it would really be hard to find anyone who would trust Christ if everyone vanished as soon as they did. People would be like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. But we are here to represent Jesus Christ. And He came to establish a kingdom. A kingdom that's not of this world. Jesus all the time gets, a, gets accused of being political of one side or another. Jesus was a Republican. Jesus was a Democrat. One of the most annoying things that Jesus Christ did was that He refused to deal with Rome in the way that His disciples wanted Him to deal with Rome. Was Jesus political? Yes, very much so. How so, Michael? He was establishing an entirely new kingdom on earth. There is no government in the history of the world, nor ever will be, other than the one that he establishes that he supports. You have to realize this. Every government goes the way of the beast. Eventually, in Revelation, the beast eats its people. That's what the beast does. You're like, Michael, that's brutal. Read Revelations. You deal with it. All right. So Jesus did all these things and he, he brought, he came to establish a new kingdom. And he said to Peter, he says, on this rock, I'll build my ecclesia. And he borrowed this word that was not religious in any way. It was a, it was a Greek term, an Athenian term that represented a, a, a way of ruling, a way of governing, a way of, uh, of expressing authority in a place. And so I've come to believe that our job on this earth is to, to rule and establish the kingdom of heaven. That we're here to, to bring the kingdom. And that makes us very uh, political in that sense. That we're establishing a new kingdom upon this earth. And so that kingdom is a redeeming kingdom. Now what I think is so powerful about this kingdom that's being established is where it works. You see, everyone else is working in the halls of government, city halls, wherever it is, county commissioners. They're trying to gain influence in those places. But that's not where Ecclesia exercises its authority and influence from. We go behind the curtain. We work in a place that's spiritual or supernatural, depending on what current term you're more comfortable with. Bottom line is, the ecclesia goes after the stuff that is causing the problems that you can see by cutting off the root in the place where you can't see. That's right. does, does that make sense? So that means that our job as the body of Christ is to redeem this world and to go to war against the things that are actually causing the problems. And, and Paul made it clear in Ephesians 6, people ain't your problem. That's what he said in the Cotton Patch version. People ain't your problem, son. He didn't say that. And so you and I need to understand, we are free to redeem. So what should we do? Well, we should give it a try. We should step out into this. We should learn what it means to be the ecclesia. I do not think that Jesus envisioned the church uh, to come together, hide behind its stained glass, sing, hold the fort, and hope that nothing bad happens until Jesus comes back. I don't think that was His plan. I think He meant for us to be kind of people who change things, who influence things. And here's how I think He meant to do it. And this, this is bothering me. I still haven't fully adjusted this. I think He meant for us to serve people. 
I think he meant for us to step out and serve. I think that's what changes, turns the world upside down. When we walk out there and we begin to say, hey, I'm, I'm of the kingdom. I know that. I'm not necessarily going to tell you that, but here's how I'm going to, here's how I'm going to influence you. I'm going to serve you. Here's why I think that. Because of Jesus. He washed the disciples' feet. As I've done this to you, do it to them. I think the kingdom of heaven on earth changes. This may sound crazy, but I think the kingdom of heaven on earth influences the world by serving it. Well, I would rather march on Washington. I don't think that's how we do it. (laughs) You can't reason with idiots. Yes, you can. There's no point. I'm sorry. Anyway, (laughs) no, no, you're fine. You're fine. fine. That's me just being cranky. Um, So my point is, I, I think that we have this opportunity in our community. And I, I, I dial this back to our city. And, and do you know the history of Rock Springs? I mean, I could know more, definitely. You know, we, we came up coal mining, railroad, western expansion. It was a brutal time. This, this was that, that idyllic view of the west, you know, going out west, peaceful places. Peaceful places. That's not how... This area was established and settled. And then you have, uh, you had the Chinese massacre around the railroad instance. There's just this horrible thing that happened. You know, then you had, you had these booms and busts as oilfield began to develop. And through those, you had cr- crime waves and, and just crazy things that begin to, to emanate with these booms and busts. Why am I telling you this? And, and most of you know, because the world without Jesus is under the law with its curses and blessings. And what if our community is struggling with drunkenness, divorce, pornography, crime, addiction, because there are curses caused by horrible things that happen? You say, Michael, what can we do about that? I'll be honest with you, we're the only ones who can do anything about it. Because we can step behind the curtain. We can step into the world that, that God has raised us to, those heavenly places, and we can break off those curses. I think, that, I think the church has an, better answers. I believe we have better answers than anyone else. I don't think we'll ever get credit for them, but we don't want credit. What we want is an amazing community. An amazing community where we can exercise and give the goodness of God, where our children can be blessed and thrive, where generations can continue to mature. This is what we want. It's not about credit. It's about winning. It's about overcoming the destroyer. Does that make sense? Now, do I think this is going to be easy? No, here's what I think will happen. I think we'll give some things a try. I think we'll probably mess up. I mean, we have before. We'll probably get it wrong. We'll probably fall down. Someone will misunderstand. It will happen. Then what will we do? Well, 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 I'm just going to quit. That's what everybody else does. That's not what God's sons and daughters do. We'll get back up. We'll get back up. And we'll step out in faith. We'll learn. We'll lean into Jesus Christ. We'll be prepared to do it poorly. We'll be prepared for the failures that come. And we will not quit. Does that make sense? Man, you're like, what are you doing, Michael? Well, I'm trying to rally up a bunch of warriors. I need some people who are ready to charge hell with a water pistol. (laughs) Because 
I love this city. I love Green River. I love these people. A lot of our community leadership are my friends. They're people I know. They're people you know. And I want God, I want good and God and peace and freedom to win. That's what I want. I I gripe about Washington, but I have zero control over it. I and and so what I how I survive that is I go, I have I can't do anything about that. It it is what it is. But this town. It is what it is, and I'm here, right? We're here, and we love this place, and we can serve in this place. Take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. It's simple. It's simple. Give it a try. Learn. Lean into Jesus. Get back up. It's simple. What happens when we obey, when we step out to what God says is true? We get a revelation. And when we have... You ever met someone who's inspired? Who's inspired? That's what a revelation is. It's inspiring. You ever met someone who's inspired? They're like, "Mm, you don't need to motivate them. You don't have to give them a raise. You don't have to give them a bonus or any of that kind of stuff. They're just inspired. That's the kind of people we are. Because we have the source of inspiration, Holy Spirit. So strengthen, stand up, get back up, and let's go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to share your word, to talk about freedom, to talk about revelation. And I ask, Lord God, that you would help us to step into revelation. Help us to step out into the things that you show us in your word. Help us to give things a try, even if they may seem a little crazy to us. Help us to be willing to learn and to lean into you. And Lord, especially help us to get back up, not quit. I know the enemy resists everything that's good and that blesses. I pray that you raise up a mighty ecclesia in this place, combined that's filled with people from all, every, all around that are pursuing Christ. And that we make this place a place where the kingdom of God is the foundation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.